0: Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at coreorg live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: At this time, I'd like to invite you to listen carefully for God's word in scripture. In Jeremiah 31.3, we read, God said, I have loved you with a love that lasts forever. And so with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And in 1 John chapter 3, we read, see what great love the fathers lavished on us that we should be called children of God. In Mark 12, Jesus said, the most important commandment in, uh, is Israel, listen, our God is the one Lord and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And then finally from First John chapter four, dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. They got it a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of these words of scripture.
0: Love, we all need it. We sing songs about it, and we devote much of our lives to pursuing it. We were made for love, and we live longer, healthier, and happier lives when we both receive love and readily give it away. Yet, in our world, love often seems in short supply. Perhaps this is why Jesus spent so much time modeling it for us. The truth is, love matters. It has the power to enrich our lives, transform our relationships, and change the world. Love really is the
1: answer. Love really is the answer. And today we kick off a five-week series of sermons in which we're going to look at love. We're going to understand how love impacts our lives and how it's meant to impact the world. We're going to understand how Jesus taught about love, demonstrated love to us, and called us to live a life of love. But before we do that, I want to say up front that uh, with the help of technology, I'm preaching the same sermon on two different continents today. So uh, by video preaching in our Leewood Sanctuary, and of course most of you at all of our locations receive the sermon by video anyway every week and uh, and online and on TV. But uh, today I'm in Dar SLM in. In, uh, in Tanzania. You can see Tanzania highlighted on the eastern coast of Africa. There's a gathering that's happening there of United Methodist leaders from across the continent of Africa. And they asked me to come and to share with them a little bit about the future of United Methodism here in the United States. And they're in the process of deciding uh, really the future of United Methodism in Africa. There are five million United Methodists there, and uh, and so they wanted me to come and share a little bit, and I'm glad to do that. I'll be preaching, I think, this same sermon. uh, As you're hearing it, I'm preaching it in a church in uh, Tanzania as well. So please remember me and the people the delegates in, uh, and the leaders in the African United Methodist Church. My hope is that we can, t- can continue to be one church and uh, we might take a little different approach to some things, but that we can be one church doing mission and ministry together around the world. So pray that God will use me if you would. I'd so appreciate that. All right, so we're gonna be focused on this idea of love, the power of love. And I wanna remind you, on July 7th, 1967, the Beatles released a song that many of you remember. If you're over 50, I know you remember it. Here's the, here's the song, take a listen. Now, my nine-year-old granddaughter doesn't remember the Beatles, but she knows the Beat Bugs, and this is the version that she knows. Take a listen. Uh Well, is it true that love is all you need? And the answer, of course, we know is no. We need more than that. We need food and shelter. We need clothing and we need drink. We need security. There's a whole host of things we need, but love is pivotal in our lives. We were designed. In fact, the theme of today's message is this, humans were made for love. Humans were made by God for love. Now, when I speak to the Confermans every year, I share with them three big ideas. uh, And I think these are ideas I've shared with our congregation before. The first is that humans were made to receive God's love. We were made to receive God's love. We were made to reciprocate God's love. And we were made to reflect God's love to other people. That's the outline of today's message, and I want to unpack that together with you. And I want to begin with this idea that we were made to receive love. We were made to receive love. So... God called forth everything that exists. This is what Christians believe. Theists believe that God created everything that exists and brought forth and created the scientific principles and laws that govern everything that exists, brought forth life on our planet. It evolved over time, and yet God is superintending that, that process of evolution. And when God had finished creating everything, the book of Genesis tells us in Genesis 1 that he looked at everything that he'd made, and he said, it is very good. It is very good. Now, as we look at God saying everything is very good, we, we see very quickly in Genesis 2 and 3 that things begin to turn bad as people turn away from God's intention for creation, as humans turn away from God's intention for creation. Now, God creates all the animals that exist. I mean, he calls them forth as, as, as over a long period of time. But for humans, he gives us a soul. He gives us the capacity to reason, to love, to transcend ourselves, to think about others besides ourselves, to act not simply on instinct but also to act based rationally. And, and as we act on our, on our reasoning and our understanding, he also gave us the capacity to choose to do things we shouldn't do, to act in ways that God doesn't intend. He gives us choice, freedom, free will. And in the process of this, humans have the ability to turn to God and to accept and understand God's love and grace and to reciprocate it and to reflect it to others. But we also have the capacity to turn away from God's love, to reject God's love, to not reflect God's love to other people. So when we look at what God has made and how God made us, we recognize that God has created us in a certain way, and sometimes we miss the mark. What we're aiming to do in this series is to try to remember how did God create us, what did God create us for, and how do we live that out? So I think about why God made us to begin with. Why would God create humans who have the ability to turn away from God's will? Why did God take the risk of creating people at all? Why not just have the animals? And I think about this And I think about the decision my wife and I made when we were in seminary in 1985, late 1985, we said, you know, we want to have a child. We'd been married for three and a half years or a little over three years. And and we just felt inside, there was a deep longing. And I'll tell you, the deep longing wasn't to have a tax deduction and the deep longing wasn't to have somebody to do the chores around the house when they got old enough. The deep longing was to give love away to be co-creators with God of another human being that could be the recipient of our love. I think healthy parents, this is why we decide to have children, is because we want to give love away. And, and so if you have you know your parents, hopefully this was their motivation. If you have children, perhaps this was your motivation as well. And what we found very quickly with Danielle's birth and then later on with Rebecca's birth is we love them instantaneously. We love them when they couldn't respond in any way, but we love them, but we love them more than we knew we could love another human being. There's just something deep deep about our souls needing and wanting to love. And I believe in some way that reflects why God chose to create human beings. God chose to create us to be recipients of God's love. And and maybe you're not a parent, and maybe you're a kid. And and but you you can understand this idea, this need, this desire to want to give love away. So I asked on Facebook this week, uh, did any of you receive pets for Christmas? And I thought I'd show you some of the pictures of people who'd received pets. Take a look at these. And and you'll see on the left side, there's a friend of mine, Rachel Billups, with her uh, puppy dog, uh, Chocolate Chip. And uh, and then in addition to that, there are the Thomas boys who received Teddy the Cocker Spaniel. Uh, Kathy's grandkids got a little white uh, puppy named Bear, and uh, and Linda got a new grand dog, Birdie. You can see, uh, I think she's being held by her granddaughter in that picture. And there's one other there, let's see, that's uh, Shunka, and, uh, and Shunka Noel is her name, and uh, and that's Tara's puppy. So anyway, all of these were pets that were given to these families, and and there were some who didn't get uh, didn't get dogs, instead they got, and cats aren't usually born this time of year, instead they got other kind of animals. Take a look at these. So these are some of the pets that were received. There's a hamster, and there's uh, three gerbils, uh, not gerbils, guinea pigs. And there's a gecko. And the gecko's name is Grizz. And that's Keen's uh, new pet. I think it's Keen or Queen. Uh, Keen's new pet. And he considers him his roommate. Now, here's what I know about. I don't know about the uh, hamsters and the, and the guinea pigs and the gecko. But what I know about the puppies is when they showed up, they make messes on the floor. They cry all night the first few nights. There's a whole lot that goes into this. And, and about the third or fourth night of them crying through the night, you begin wondering, why in the world did I do this? But here's the thing every kid who wants a pet, knows that what they want to do is to give love away. There's something in us that wants to give love away. And and so if that's true of God, if God created us to be recipients of his love, then part of our task is to receive God's love, just to let God love us. I remember when my girls were teenagers, and there were times where they, you know, I loved them desperately and fiercely, and there were times that they sort of walked away from my love. They were, you know, they were embarrassed by their dad. They wanted me to drop them off a block away from school so they didn't have to, you know, have to be seen getting out of my car. We used to hold hands when they were little girls, and all of a sudden, you know, they didn't want to hold my hand anymore, and, and they weren't interested in receiving my love. I think they wanted it, but they, they certainly didn't want to be that close to me. And sometimes we as humans do the same thing, but we were made simply to receive God's love. So when I think about how God des- uh, describes his own love in scripture, there are a host of ways in which God describes it as a parent loving a child. So uh, in Hosea chapter 11, we read these words, when Israel was a child, I loved him. I led them, the Israelites, with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift Im- infants up to their cheeks. mean, I love this picture of God's love for us, that God loves you like a loving parent loves their child, that's how God loves you. I think this is why Jesus spoke about God as Father. I think this is why we find this picture of God as a parent throughout Scripture, because in the best of parents who deeply and fiercely love their children, we have a picture of the depth of God's love for us. Now, there are multiple words that uh, that can be translated as love in the Old Testament, three primarily, but there are two that we see most often used, and the first one is ahav, and ahav uh, means, uh, it, it's the word that's used of affectionate love, it's 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 friendship, it's kindness, it's devotion, it's, it's all of these, and it's the kind of love a parent has for a child, uh, lovers have for one another, and that word is used by God many times in Scripture to describe His love for us. The second is hesed. And sometimes you'll see it C-H and sometimes just simply with H at the beginning, but it appears 248 times in Scripture, and it describes not, I mean, it can be an emotional love, but it describes primarily a way of acting, a faithful love, a love that comes alongside and cares for, a covenant love that seeks the best for the other person. And this is what we find in Scripture. I love the words of Jeremiah 31, where we find both of these forms of love mentioned. We find God saying, I have loved And the word is ahav, I have loved you with a love, ahav, that lasts forever, an an emotive love, a deep relational love. And so with unfailing love, hesed, I have drawn you to myself with this covenant love that's about acting on your behalf and caring for you and, and, and showing you mercy and grace. I have acted on your behalf, an unfailing love. I've drawn you to myself. In scripture, God likens his love at times uh, to, as we've seen, a parent's love for a child or a husband's love for a spouse, a wife. But his greatest expression of love comes to us in Jesus. So when we get to the New Testament, we read John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, the giving of his son is an expression of the depth of God's love for us. So Paul could write this, God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So at uh, Lent, we sing the song on, on Good Friday, What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul. What wondrous love is this, when we look at the cross. When we wear a cross, it's a sign of the depth of God's love for us. We recognize that it expresses the fact that we are loved. Now, 1967, the same year that All You Need Is Love came out, uh Burnett Halsberg Helsberg uh Jr., he was the founder, his actually I think it was his father or his grandfather founded Helsberg's jewelry stores in Kansas City and then nationwide. Uh but he had a marketing idea. He thought, what would happen if we could help people see that uh that their task was to communicate to people the their people closest to them especially their romantic interest that they are loved. And so he had this idea, what if we what if we came up with a button that says I am loved and and with that button the marketing slogan could be, you know, make sure she knows she's loved. Whether you get her a button or a diamond, make sure she knows she's loved. And then they'd give out these buttons, you know, uh, to everyone who came into the jewelry stores. And they've given out millions and millions of these buttons. Here's a picture of the button, I am loved. And uh, and today, we're giving those out here at all of our Kansas City area locations. If you show up in person, you're going to be receiving one of these buttons. If you don't get one this week, show up in person next week. We'll make sure you get one. And I'd like to invite you to wear it to church every weekend during this sermon series. Because part of what God was trying to communicate to us was that we are loved. And if we know we're loved, that changes everything. So God wants us to know, I am Loved. I wonder if you'll say that with me. I want you to say it out loud wherever you are. Would you say these words? I am loved. That's part of what God wants you to know. You are loved. Whether, whether anyone else loves you or not, whether you feel rejected by your parents or your friends who've turned away from you, you feel totally whole, you know, alone, you feel totally lonely, you need to know this that there is a God who loves you. You are loved. That's what scripture is trying to teach us. And this idea changed my life when I was, uh, when I was 14 years old and I was feeling pretty alone and, and uh, friendless at a particular time in my life. And I remember I started going to church and I started reading the gospels. I was actually reading the Bible. I finally got to the gospels. And there was this particular moment where I felt so alone and so broken. And I felt, I heard God saying to me, not with my ears, but this thought came across my mind, Adam, I know your name and I love you. And I felt like there were arms that were embracing me and holding me and my life has not been the same since receiving and accepting the fact that God loved me. So that's our first task, is to accept the fact that God loves us. I love how Paul prays these, uh, this prayer for the Christians at Ephesus. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God what a powerful prayer. I just pray, this is my prayer for you today. I pray that you might know how much you are loved, that you might know the height and depth and width and length of the love of God, and that you would be filled with the love of God. Because when you're filled with that, when you know that you are loved and you allow God to love you, it changes how you live the rest of your life. Our task is in part to trust that that's true, to have faith that it's true that we are loved by God, and to tell ourselves that, and to read that in Scripture. And I think about our girls. When my girls were growing up and now our granddaughter, Stella, I always felt like the most important thing I could give them was the knowledge that they were loved, that they were loved by God, but they were loved by their daddy and their mommy, that if we could show them that, that they would live differently instead of desperately trying to, to prove to themselves that they were loved, instead of trying to win love by doing all the wrong things, that they might know up front, you are loved. And out of that, out of that storehouse of knowledge that you are loved by God and loved by your parents, you can live a life of love towards other people instead of desperately trying to get people to love you or searching for love in all the wrong places. All right, so we live as those who are loved. Now, uh, you may have never experienced this selfless, unconditional kind of love, which I'm hoping that you'll experience when you put your trust in Christ. You may not have experienced it from your parents, but that when you trust that God loves you, he so loved you that he gave his son, that Christ in, the, in his death on the cross was demonstrating to you, I love you this much when you begin to believe that, it begins to change you. So the second truth that happens is that we're meant to reciprocate God's love. So once we've received the love of God, we're meant to reciprocate God's love. We recognize that God loves us. What's an appropriate response to the love of God? We love God in return. And I think this is not hard to understand. When you've experienced the depth of someone's love, when someone has sacrificed and given something for you, how do you respond? At the very least, it should be with a hearty thank you but in addition to thank you, it, it, it may very well be you know, a, a response of love in your heart towards the person who has loved you selflessly and sacrificially. I think about those puppies that were received at Christmas, and part of what we love about having puppies is they love us back. Right? They, they come and they lick our faces and they wag their tails when we get home and, and they can't wait to be with us. And they just love to be, you know I think about our dogs, they just love to be on our laps, to be close to us. They want to sit next to us wherever we're sitting. They are our companions. They don't understand love the way humans understand love, but they give love back because they understand their master loves them. Their master loves them, not only feeding them and providing them shelter, but emotionally, we just love our animals. And so they love us in return. They can't help it. That's you know, Even animals without a human soul or the capacity to reason know that you respond to love by loving in return. Moses told the Israelites that they were, uh, that they were rescued from slavery. This is, they're almost you know, ready to enter the promised land. He says, God rescued you from slavery. God called you his own people. He, he's cherished you as his own children. He's giving you the promised land. <clears throat> now here's the response that God is looking for. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your being and all your strength. This is the single most important commandment uh, for the Jewish people. And when Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? He says, the most important commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. You want to know what Jesus is asking of us? This is the first thing he's asking. But Jesus, of course, offers us a second response as well. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Robert Johnson, our location pastor at Leewood, preached a sermon, and, uh, and he, had a, he uh, told the story from a film, The Color Purple, and it's one of my favorite film clips. I've shared it with you before in church, but, but it's this beautiful clip in which there's a conversation happening about the nature of God and what God looks for from us. Take a listen. Oh, by the way, as you're listening to this, we did make one little tweak. There was a cuss word in here, and we took it out, or we tweaked it uh, so that you would have a chance we could play it in church. So take a listen.
0: More than anything, God love admiration. You saying God is vain? No, no, not vain. Just wanting to share a good thing. I think it ticks God off if you walk by the color
1: purple in a field and don't notice it.
0: Well, you saying it just wanna be loved, like I say in
1: the Bible? Yeah, Clee. Everything wanna be loved us sing and dance and holler just trying to be loved god doesn't need anything but god does desire our love that god too is a relational being and god longs to not only love us but for us to love god in return not out of some deficit need that god has but simply because it's the appropriate response of the creature to the creator. You know, the, the birds and the, and the bees and the animals, they all, they all do this. Even the trees. When, when, the, when the cicadas are singing in the summertime or the crickets or the bullfrogs in my pond, you know, they don't know it. And I know they're giving mating calls or, you know, whatever it is they're doing. But somehow inside they were created with the capacity to sing in the only ways they can. And I believe they're singing praise to the God who created them. I look at the trees and when I see them, their arms uplifted, you know, their branches uplifted. And, and when, when they're coming out in the springtime, you know, with the leaves coming out and, and then in the fall, when the fall leaves are changing color and all of that, I believe those, those, those trees are giving praise to God, giving glory to God. They don't even under, you know, they have no understanding. They're inanimate objects. And yet, and yet by their very nature, they're giving praise to God. The stars make noise. You probably know this. Noise you can't hear or understand, but I believe even the stars are singing their praise to God. So if the stars and the birds and the bees are doing this, shouldn't we who understand the nature of God and the nature of God's love, which is what we do when we gather for worship, of course, we sing songs of praise. I I, uh, heard from somebody the other day who said, yeah, you know, we come a little bit late to church, so we don't have to do the singing part of it. Like, no, you're missing it because the singing part of it is what it's all about. The sermon is important. It's a sort of nice add on to understand God's will, but we've come to sing God's praise, to express our love for God. And there's something that happens when we're singing to God that, that allows our hearts to feel and our, you know to get caught up with our minds as we're expressing to God our love for God. Even if you have a bad voice, I wanna encourage you to sing. And if you're online or on TV, I wanna encourage you to sing where you're at because you're not singing to the TV. You're not, singing to, you know, you're not singing to anybody else. You're singing to God, expressing what is the appropriate response of the creature to the creator. I love you and thank you and, and I praise you and you are so good. All of that is what we're meant to do. We humans have the ability to understand the love of God and we're meant to reciprocate the love of God. And I shared with you before, the essence of worship is just two words. The essence really of prayer is just two words. You remember them, thank you. I mean, if you could distill it down to that, it's God, thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for my life, the air that I breathe, the, the sun that warms the planet, the, you know, my very existence. Thank you, oh God. And so, you know, I challenge you to pray five times a day. And when we pray five times a day, when we wake up in the morning, slipping to our knees, if our knees are okay, or sitting in the chair or lying in the bed, thank you. When we have breakfast, thank you. Lunch, thank you. Dinner, thank you. When we go to bed at night, thank you. And then you build upon that, but five times a day to simply pause and give thanks to God. And I love how Psalm 136 captures this over and over and over again in its verses. It says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love, his hesed, endures forever. The other day I was sitting with my granddaughter and, and uh, we were sitting, I, don't, I think we'd been reading a book or something. I can't even remember now. I just know we were sitting next to each other on the couch and she leaned her head against me and she says, Papa, I love you. Can I just tell you what that did to me? It just melted me, right? It's just like, I love her so much, but the fact that she responded, even without me saying it, she just, just turned to me and said, I love you so much. Do you know what that does for God when we express to God the depth of our love for him or our gratitude for all the blessings that he's poured into our lives? Okay, so uh, we are to receive God's love as human beings. We were made to be recipients of God's love. We were made to reciprocate God's love, to love God, with all our heart, whole soul, mind, and strength, as Jesus says it in one of the Gospels. But finally, we're meant to reflect God's love to other people. Now, when Jesus uh, mentioned the great commandment to love God with all your heart, so he's asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? He says, well, here's one, but there's another one that's very like it, and you got to remember it too. So he, he quickly links the first and the second great commandments, and it's one that didn't show up as one of the major commandments in the Torah, in the law of Moses. This shows up in Leviticus 19, 18, and it was this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Now, of course, implied in that is you got to love yourself, right? This is why knowing that you are loved by God and that you have value and worth is important because if you, if you know that, then you're able to love more freely. You're able to love not out of, a, out of a deficit, but out of a storehouse of love. You've got to be able to love yourself. That's not narcissism. That's not thinking you're all that and, and, uh, and you know, believing that you're better than anybody else and, and having the whole world revolve around you. That's not what it is. It's just knowing that you are a person of worth and value and that you are loved by God and that your life has meaning because of that, that you are somebody in God's eyes. So you love yourself. And as you love yourself and you take care of yourself, you take care of your body, you take care of your heart, your soul, you have to do that so that you can be useful to God. And because God wants you to enjoy your life as long as possible. So we love ourselves, but we're also meant to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Right? This is really pivotal. Now, most of the rest of this sermon series is going to be focused on this idea of what does it mean to love your neighbor as you love yourself? And we're going to talk about that when it comes to uh, justice, issues of justice next week for Dr. King weekend. We're going to talk about it when it comes to marital relationships and, and how, you know, how we can pro- pledge to, to love and to cherish one another until we are parted by death. We're going to talk about it when it comes to our daily living and our daily lives. This is our mission. Our mission is to love God and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So listen to a few more words of Scripture. Jesus says this at the Last Supper. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Or in, uh, in John's first epistle, he writes these words. Dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. This is the essence of God's character is the self-giving love. And so if we are to be God's children, we are to follow Jesus, we have to obey this commandment. We have to love one another. Now, I want to remind you, when we talk about love, what do we mean? If you look it up in the dictionary, as I did in multiple dictionaries this week, you, you find that the, you know, almost always the dictionaries go to a feeling. So here's the New Oxford American Dictionary. Uh, love is a noun, an intense feeling of deep affection, a feeling of deep romantic or sexual att- attachment to someone. But in the Bible, we find that, of course, is one definition of love, but it's not the primary definition of love in the Bible. It, it, you'll find that kind of love, romantic love, attraction, you know, deep affection, deep feelings. Yes, that's all good. That's a gift from God too. And God loves us that way. And we're meant to love God that way. And we're meant to love other people that way. But the primary way the scriptures speak about love, particularly in the New Testament, But even in the Old Testament, hesed is that idea of of an action, of a way of being and doing and treating other people. You get to the New Testament, and the primary word for love is agape. Now, there's philia is another one. That's brotherly love. But agape, agape is a selfless love. It is a love in which I am concerned for you. I seek the best for you. I seek to, I I want to see you blessed. I'm going to act in certain ways whether whether I feel it or not. In fact, I'm going to love you sometimes when i don't feel it i know that that's going to be part of the answer to solving the problem of conflict between us so jesus says that we're to love our enemy not just our neighbor we're to love our enemy right so this is the answer it builds up the other it blesses the other now i can't think of help but think of the love songs that are out there and some you know many of the love songs that we hear are songs about the affectionate romantic kind of love that we're meant to have and or can have towards one another but there are a number of songs about love that are not about the feelings and emotions but about how we're to live towards other people 1965 there was a there was a song that came out it was um it was written by Burt Bacharach, and he was a little hesitant about it. And there were, uh, Diane Warwick was uh, slated to sing it. And she said, no, I don't think it's the right song for me. I think it's too preachy. And, and so Jack, Jackie DeShannon Sh- De uh, was the one who ended up uh, singing this song. And nobody knew whether it was gonna be a hit or not. It, it became an instant hit. And then throughout the 1960s, at a time when people were polarized and, and our country was being torn apart, it became a kind of theme song. Take a listen.
0: What the- Is love, sweet love It's the only thing That there's just too little love But the world is not Is love, sweet love No, not just for some But for everyone
1: Now that love isn't a warm feeling. It's not a it's not an emotion. It's not an affection or sexual attraction. It's not romance. It's a dogged determination to care for other people, to bless them, to seek the good for them. Even if they're people you don't like that were called to do this. And this was part of God's, you know, God's you know, reasoning for creating us as human beings. And part of the way the world was meant to work is that if we loved one another, we wouldn't find the wars and the violence, and the bloodshed and the, and the hurt that we inflict upon one another if we only lived the way God intended for us to live, to love God, to receive God's love, to love God in return and to love other people. Love really is the answer. Now, I was uh, thinking about in our own lives that we find our greatest joy and meaning in our lives when we take seriously God's mission for us, when we receive God's love, when we reciprocate God's love, and when we reflect God's love to other people, there is a joy in reflecting love to other people. This is what we find. We we talk about the joy of giving during the the fall season when we're when we're providing you know all kinds of materials uh, you know care care gifts and and everything else to lower income people in Kansas City and around the world. And next week we're going to share with you the total of our candlelight Christmas Eve offering. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you, but. Uh, But we find joy in that. We find joy in the sacrifice, joy in the selfless giving. And it's interesting joy in cultivating relationships with other people and getting to know people and connecting with them. All right, so in, uh, in 1938, there was a, an experiment that was, uh, that was launched out of Harvard University. And uh, from 1938 to 1944, the Harvard sophomores of each of those years were put into a study. There was a group of them, 238 of them, if I remember correctly, and they were gonna be studied. It was a longitudinal study. They thought they'd probably study them for five or 10 or 15 or 20 years, maybe. I don't even think they were thinking 20 years. But instead, Harvard decided to study them across the course of their lifetimes. There was a second study that was picked up in the 1940s, and it was of boys in the Boston area who were low-income kids. These were teenagers. I think they were 11 to 14-year-olds when they started in the study, and these were kids from low-income households. And they began to study them, too. And they, were, you know, they would study health, and they would study their emotional well-being and a whole host of other factors, what happened in their careers and education. And what they were looking for, ultimately, they decided what were really the value of this is to figure out what makes people happy. What makes people happy? And so they study these. And and there's still about 30 of these participants still alive. So they've studied them now since since, uh, 1938. I mean, it's 85-plus years they've been studying them. And uh, and this last week, I had a chance to talk to the current director of the study, Dr. Robert Waldinger. He is at Harvard. He's also at uh, Massachusetts General Hospital. He's a psychiatrist. And I wanted him to summarize for us the findings of this long, long study, 85-plus-year study, So here's a bit of my interview with Dr. Waldinger, take a listen.
0: I'm a professor of psychiatry, but I direct this study, which is the longest study of the same people going through their entire adult lives. It started in 1938. Out of 724 original people, about 30 are still alive. The key learning that we had, actually, we didn't believe. We began to find that the people who were not only the happiest, but who stayed the healthiest and lived the longest as they got older, those people had warmer connections and more connections with other people. When they were 50, could we predict who was going to be a healthy, happy 80-year-old? And it wasn't their blood pressure. It wasn't their cholesterol. Those are important. It was how connected they were to other people, and how satisfying their relationships were that predicted whether they stayed healthy. And we didn't believe that because we thought, well, how could relationships actually get into your body and change your physiology? But now we've seen, and many other studies have shown that this is a scientific fact. It's in part these relationships that help us get through the hard times. And when we ask people, how did you get through the Depression? How did you get through World War II? Everybody, to a person, talked about other people. Uh, In the Depression, it was all the neighbors shared what they had. They banded together. When it was World War II, it was, it was those letters from home. It was being with my fellow soldiers and being able to trust them. It was always about relationships getting us through hard times.
1: How true that is, the, the idea that it's relationships that help us through difficult and challenging times. Uh, this On New Year's Day, I had a chance to visit with two of our families who'd lost loved ones in the previous few days. And in each case, one, the loss of the husband and father, the second, the loss of a 24-year-old daughter, and sitting with these families and listening, and part of what they said, what's helped us make it through this is all of the people who've come alongside us to carry us, the stretcher bearers who carry us. That's how we survive in life. We survive not by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But by relationships and loving one another and other people coming alongside us and loving us. And as we've said before, the only way to have those kind of relationships is if you're trying to live into them across the course of your life, which is why, again, the Harvard study found that it didn't matter whether somebody went to Harvard or whether they were a low-income kid in Boston, it didn't matter whether their IQ was 150 or 110, some of the most successful people in life were the people who cultivated meaningful and warm relationships with others, the fact that they knew how to love each other. This is important. Uh, there was a uh, there was a study that Dr. Waldinger mentioned when we were talking that was done of folks who are riding the L, the train, the public commuter train in Chicago. And uh, you know, you get on the subway, and typically, what you do is you put your headphones in and you listen to a podcast, or you're reading a book, or you know, you're you're texting or whatever. You definitely don't want to talk to strangers around you. And so they did this experiment they said okay everybody agreed that's the best way is for us to not talk to other people when we're on the you know other than hi but that's it and but they took a part of the group that was being studied and they said we want to ask you to actually engage in conversations with strangers start up conversations with strangers and just see what happened and what they found is all of those folks believed that was going to be a recipe towards unhappiness on the train and they found that the people who actually engaged in engaged in conversations with strangers were happier when they got off the train significantly than the people who had put their earbuds in and were sim- simply listening to a podcast. There was something about human engagement that was important, which is, I think, what God had in mind when he said that we were to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. It's not about having a warm, emotional relationship with somebody, though that will happen many times but it's about actually engaging with people, caring about people, demonstrating love to them. And in the process of that, we do find enough of those become real relationships in our lives and we find joy. So uh, the last thing I'll mention is there was a study that was done not long ago uh, and I read it just this week, uh, Atlantic or somewhere. And they were talking about the the secret to retirement, a happy retirement that's not being spoken about. And they said it, it was not so much how much money you had in your 401k or in your pension plan, that made the difference between whether you were happy in retirement or not, it was whether you had invested in relationships with other people, whether you had actually poured into others and loved and cared for them, that was the determinant of happiness in retirement. So so one of the previous uh, directors of the study, the Harvard study, was George Valen. And when he was asked to summarize the findings of the Harvard study at, at the time, I think it was probably 15, 20 years ago, this is what he said. The summary of the findings are this simply, happiness is five words. Happiness is love, full stop. And when the Canadian Broadcasting Network was running a story on this, uh, they said uh, that the study proved the Beatles were right. All you need is love. All you need is love. So I'd like to ask you to write down these three things as we begin the new year. This is the first weekend of the new year. I'd like to invite you to write down these three things as goals that you might have for this coming year and not just for this coming year, but for the rest of your life. Are you ready? Here they are. The first one, I will daily remember that I am loved by God. I will daily remember that I am loved by God. I will say it out loud. I will remember I am loved by God. Second, I will daily profess and express my love for God. I will daily profess and express my love for God. And then finally, I will seek to be more loving to more people. I will seek to be more loving to more people in my life. Those three things are gonna be the key for us becoming the people that God intended for us to be, for us healing the brokenness in the world, for us finding happiness and joy in our own lives, that we are going to receive God's love, reciprocate God's love, and reflect God's love to others. Let's pray. I'd like to invite you just to whisper this prayer. God, I accept your love for me. Help me to love you in return. I do love you, O Lord. And help me to reflect your love to all that I meet. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit CORE.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.